0: bring Comedy Presents! Over the past two decades, I have worked with artists of varying genres. Music, comedy, theater, dance, and more. It has been my observation that while each has its own systems and specificities, they are all relative. Art itself is relative to the observer. As the audience, our appreciation is influenced by our individual perspectives for artists themselves, motivations and measures of success are just as conditional. In this series, I will be speaking with working-class entertainers and artists. We will highlight the unique aspects of their crafts while, hopefully, proving my theory that it is all pretty much the same at their roots. My name is Isaac Landford, and this is The Art of Relativity. Sitting with me today is Mandy McKelvey from Louisville, Kentucky. Mandy, uh, we've already been talking, but now it's recording. So how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. It's good to see you.
0: It is good to see you too. Now I hit you on a weekday here. So, and you were working today and you just came and did the the shuffle home. And uh, I don't know if you're currently in your work clothing or if you did like a switchover.
1: No, I'm definitely in my work clothing. I definitely just drove home uh, from the hospital, sat in traffic uh, with everyone else trying to get home, and then like came home and booted up my computer. And I was like, "Yeah, this this is good. This feels right." Because I, it gave me a reason to to leave when I don't have when I'm not performing at night. Sometimes I try to stay at work and like make up for the guilt of all the time I take off and uh I don't know why they don't I don't get paid extra for that they don't
0: yeah that's a that's good that's good work ethic good for you being a good worker aunt for this hospital (laughs) (laughs) barely I know that you work at a hospital and it's like a it's like is it a psychiatric hospital
1: it is. It is a whole, whole like level five psychiatric facility hospital.
0: Now, level five, that makes that sound like that's a lot.
1: <laughs> it is a lot. They is. The, well, it's like the highest level of, I guess, uh, restriction that you can have. Um, like, you know, I think like base level would be like you're at your house and you go to therapy once a month on your own and then like the levels go up as to far like the the intensity and the amount of restriction that you have and like at my hospital you know they take your belt and your shoelaces and your hair dryer and your lighter and then they lock you up and you know tell you when you can eat and you know they take the you, you don't have like a door on your bathroom and stuff like that
0: so, do you work at One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest?
1: It's a lot like I'll be honest with you, the psych has not come very far in the like the starkness and the scariness and like the in, the intensity and, and also the attitude of the nurses that has that has not changed on any level. Uh, the only thing that has changed is like you can't shock people and you can't drill holes in their head. Um, You can't, you can't like knock them out, like without a lot of paperwork. And, uh, but yeah, we still like do physical managements and give people shots to like calm them down. Like that, that stuff that makes people really uncomfortable. We still do that stuff. It's, it is, it is a real throwback. It is a real throwback.
0: Uh, Do you ever suspect if any of your, I'm going to call them clients. Uh, I guess they're patients if are actually like Bruce Willis from the future like in there trying to set things right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, my so my of cuz I've been there 15 years, these psychiatric patients, the ones who have active psychosis. They all have like the same five stories oh. that they tell when they're like in active psychosis so much so that it makes me wonder if it's real yeah because you know we we treat them like they're you know absolutely throwback crazy because we don't believe and we can't see the things that they're saying that they're experiencing, the things that they say that they're hearing and seeing, but they have this, it's like the same five stories that they all are experiencing. And it makes me think like maybe their mind is just able to perceive another part of life that our minds aren't able to perceive. And there's nothing wrong with them. And we're literally locking them up and medicating them because they don't quote act like the rest of it. And I think about it sometimes. And then I just have to close my office door for a minute (laughs) and be like, well, there's nothing you can do. You're just one person. Yeah. And I mean, but I worry about it all the time. It
0: does put a different light on it where it's like, is it that they are crazy or are they walk? Are they living and walking between realities? and i mean either way i guess it's the same answer
1: yeah i i wonder that they are g- actually smarter than the rest of us because which is what makes them so unique and we think something's wrong with them because like they i wonder if they're able to perceive so many more realities than we are that they it just gets really overwhelming and scary and then they just sort of do weird behaviors because we don't put people in a psych hospital for the things that they think and feel. We put people in psych hospital for the things they do. So like they start doing something that makes people think, Oh, this person's unsafe or, Oh, this person's unstable. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's so like, that's what gets them like quote unquote locked up is that they've done something that scared someone or people were like worried for their safety. And so then they're just stuck with us. And I'm like thinking to myself, this can't be like, they can't, this can't be a coincidence that they all have the same stories, but genuinely, you know, sometimes I think to myself, like, am I like a cop? Like, am I just like one of those people who's just like kind of bought into the idea that they, that these people need to be, you know, helped in this way. But we're just doing our best. I, I, you know, psych is, it's the unknown. So like, we're totally guessing.
0: That's wild. So 15 years, what, uh, what is your actual, like, what is your title?
1: So now, uh, because if you stay, if you do anything long enough, you will move up even if you suck at it. Um, but now I'm the director of adjunctive therapy, <laughs> I'm the director of adjunctive therapy, which means I supervise uh, a lot of the, the the therapists and counselors, art therapists, drama therapists, music therapists, rec therapists at the hospital, and they run um, groups all day with the patients. And I love that because it, uh, I had been with the patients for 10 years at that point before I moved up, and I was just about to like my breaking point of not like being uh, being burnt out. Uh, and then when I moved into the director position, it like totally refreshed me because now my job is to, if I'm doing my job correctly, I'm keeping everybody else from burning out. So I get to focus on the therapists like helping them keep their head above water. And that actually feels like I'm doing more somehow uh, because I'm not just keeping myself employed I'm trying to keep them employed as well um, I'm trying to keep you know keep them from you know, I, I've known many therapists and different social workers counselors who would just straight up break down quit and then go work at a grocery store like and never use their master's degree again So every day, I feel like my job is to keep like 18 people from going to work at Trader Joe's. And that is a hard sell because they all go to Trader Joe's on their lunch breaks to get like salads and stuff. And everybody at Trader Joe's is really nice to them. And then they come back and they're like, I love it there. And I'm like, no, no, you're doing good work (laughs) here. Please don't go work at Trader Joe's on your lunch break.
0: Uh, So 15 years in this, and then the education that goes along with it even more, how does that compare? How long have you been doing comedy?
1: Ooh, uh, 15 years. I started, I started comedy in May of 2006, and I got hired at that hospital in July of 2006.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that that three month span was going to define the next fifteen years of my life. But the comedy, uh, the comedy I had been planning since I was a a tiny, tiny, tiny girl, I just didn't know how to make it happen. And then uh, the the therapy thing was sort of like, but you, but obviously comedy's not a real job, so I have to go get a real job, and then I'll just think very quietly about comedy for my whole entire life, uh, and then when I was in my late 20s, uh, and I, you know, was, I had, I had my master's, I'd been working in another place for a couple of years, just trying to find my footing uh, in my career, uh, it finally all just snapped, and then I was like, okay, no, like you act, uh, like you actually have to go on stage or you'll die. Like you have to try it. Uh, clearly, you know, you. when you're in school and you're trying to find a job and start a career, you're so focused on it. I, I, I was so focused on it that I thought that I could pretend that comedy wasn't real. Uh, and then once I, as soon as I got like slightly settled, then everything in me was like, are you kidding? Like, this is girl, this is your day job, like for get over it, go get on stage. And and it was, I don't have a lot of um, self-esteem and I'm very, I had, you know, the intense stage fright, I'm sure a lot of people do, but intent, like I was not uh, like, oh, I can't, you know, I, people approach me all the time and they'll be like, oh, I wanna try stand up. And I'm like, the fact that you had the balls to say that to me means we don't have anything in common. Because before I tried stand-up, I didn't tell a fucking soul. Like, I was like, if this doesn't happen, I will die with this secret. Like, how embarrassing to want to be a comedian. Like, there's, you think of anything more embarrassing than saying you want to do comedy? And so I just kept it under wraps until I physically stepped on stage for the first time.
0: That's wild. Like, I started performing when I was really young, like 19, and... I I always envy, though, it's a grass is greener thing, okay? Because I always envy people that just had a real job and then did this thing that's very easy to just do as a hobby because that's how much money it pays you.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) But
0: I did it. I didn't want the real job, but I also didn't understand that, like, doing comedy could also be a job. So I was just in a weird no-man's land for, like, 10 years before anything started to click
1: I love that you were like, I don't want a real job. Oh, I, I love that you were like, I want to do this thing. It's not a real job, but I'm not going to get a real job. And it's such a great <laughs> fuck you attitude because I was trying to, I was working like I was trying to support six kids and it was just me. Like it was just me in my <laughs> shitty apartment. And I was working like my family was going to starve.
0: Did you do any performing? You didn't do theater or anything like that when you were younger?
1: You know, I, I didn't have, I'm from a, a trailer town where we just had the one public school. We didn't have a middle school. You went straight from elementary to high school. We literally had two buildings and one was a, a kindergarten to seventh grade. And then one was eighth grade to, you know, 12th grade, but we didn't have any theater programs when I was 16 and I started driving, uh, I started driving to this, we called it big town. It was the town 45 minutes away where you had to go if you needed to go to the doctor or you had to go to Walmart or you had to, um, or like, you know, you know, like you had to pay a bill at like an official building. Uh, So I I went to, I started driving to big town because there was like a community uh, theater there and I'd never done it. So obviously I was like, oh, I can't be seen or heard. So I signed up to do like a backstage like makeup thing because I was like, I like makeup and I'd like to be at a theater. This was my first theater. I was like dressed in black and I was putting makeup on all these kids and getting them ready for plays. And the lady that ran the theater who was the first adult I ever interacted with who listened to me, uh, I came from one of those, like you're a kid, please stop speaking type of communities. Uh, you have no valuable input. Please be quiet now. I'm very stressed because we live in a trailer and I have four jobs. Like it was that type of energy. So she would just like, she would listen to me like I was a person and it blew my mind. And she was the opposite of everything I had been raised to do. You know, I'd been raised to find a nice man, have children Everybody did that very young people married who they dated in high school, not just as a cliche, but as kind of a, of a, of a just like it was odd if you didn't. And uh, she was the opposite. She was she had just had a baby and she was 50 years old and she was 50 oh, wow. fucking years old. And she she had a child, she had a toddler that she had at the age of 47. And she had a 22 year old who was in Princeton. And she was the director of the theater and she used the transatlantic language. And she was met, There was nothing about, she and her husband had just moved to the area to transform the children's theater. And I was like, (laughs) what is happening? And she would talk to me like I was the smartest person in the world. And one day after farting around backstage for a year, like my senior year of high school, she was like, I'd like for you to audition for something. And I was terrified, but I did it. And then I auditioned for it. And then after I auditioned for it, she said, I love you. I love everything about you. And I cannot wait to cast you. Here's the problem. I can't do anything with you with that accent, honey. She was like, you're gonna have to lose that accent. I was like, what? I don't, I don't know. I don't hear it. Okay, I, I can't hear it. I was at, it was Chesney, <laughs> South Carolina, and I couldn't hear it. And I didn't talk like anyone else in big town. Somehow, the forty-five minute gap was like a language barrier. And she she asked me to audition, and then she said she wouldn't cast me because of my <laughs> accent. And not only not only did I take that as a challenge to lose my accent, I know I have it now, but you, it's not even a tenth of what it was. And also. I lost my accent so hard. Do you remember those few years when Madonna sounded British? Like that, I did that. I did that. I, I worked on my accent so hard that people started asking me where I was from. Because if you, it turns out if you speak proper English, you sound fucking English. And I never put those two things together. And uh, so I would be like, just is, I mean, I would, every word that would come out of my mouth, I would like channel it through the proper English filter. And then finally, like I got this role in Charlotte's Web um, as a mom, of course, because it's a kids theater. So they cast you by voice, like the, the people with the lower registers get to play the adults. And then the people with the higher registers will play kids. Uh, and I was so excited because I, I went for the part of the stutter goose and got it. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm a stutter goose. I'm the star of Charlotte's Web. And then I broke my leg.
0: <laughs>
1: I broke my leg. I was in an immobilizer, so I couldn't squat. <laughs> and I couldn't squat. And when I couldn't squat, I couldn't be the stutter goose. And so they gave me a cane and made me freaking ferns, mom. <laughs> and i was burns mom but it was like it didn't matter like that was it and i was like yeah people are clapping yeah this is yeah and then i would do like thing i would do we had like a little theater show in college i would do and but i knew like this is just i knew i wanted to be a stand up but it was just like it was like saying i know i want to win the lottery like it didn't seem like a thing i had control over it was just a thing i knew i wanted like how one day you know i'd like to you know go to like morocco or something like but it's not it's not like a thing i have the capacity to reach yeah so i'm just hoping one day it happens like that was that attitude like maybe i'll just happen to t- happen onto a stage and accidentally tell a joke and then that'll be it. And I won't have to work at all. And I'll be a star and nothing bad will hurt me. Um, and instead, you know, I ended up doing what you're supposed to do. I opened mic and bombed my ass off for the first 10 years of it. Proper learning yeah. who I was and learning how to handle shit.
0: Yeah. What was it about stand up? That was the thing that you were looking at? Like, what, like, uh, is it the... The control, like the the singular presence, yeah. is that kind of the idea?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, when I heard my very first stand up, it was done by Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby. And so, when I was only five, I didn't know what stand up comedy was, I just knew these two men are telling the truth about their life, they're telling mm-hmm. stories about themselves, and everybody is losing their shit, and everybody loves it, and everybody feels connected to them and to me any job you could have made up for me would never have seemed as magical as the idea that I go on stage and I just naturally talk to you about myself I don't even have to know anything I don't have to be smart I don't have to have an interesting point of view I'm just going to tell you about me and somehow you're going to be captivated by me and you're going to want to be my friend you're going to want to hear my more of my stories and I just thought well there I mean is there there's can't be anything more magical than just talking about yourself that that's not even a skill you just you know you, don't, you just say what happened and it turns out that's very difficult um obviously or or everyone would do it but it also turns out that despite you know the way I bombed my ass off for ten years. I always had that. Like I always had the ability to just talk about myself. I wouldn't know how to write stand up about like just 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 a thing. I wouldn't know how to be like you know talking about like airplane food or whatever. Like I wouldn't know how to just take a premise and write about it. All I know is like stuff happens, and then I process what happened, and then I usually get mad about the thing that happened and then I'll be like, well I, well, I want somebody to be on my side about it. So if I want somebody to be on my side, I just go tell a room full of people and then I get to decide how they feel about it. And then that changes how I feel about it. I've never, like I got, uh, when I got my heart broken once, not, not too long ago over the pandemic, and then we weren't on stage and I was just like dealing with that eating shit, just mm-hmm. dealing with it. And it was like maybe six days later that uh Vitato, Chris Vito called me and said, you know, because he had just opened Planet of the Tapes and he's like, mm-hmm. I want to try to just like have some stand-up. I just want to try to do something. And I was like, I'm, you know, sure I'd love to come. And nobody knew how to behave. Everybody was out for the first time. Yeah. Nobody knew how to be in a place together it was one of those middle of the pandemic situations and I had my material from the previous 14 or 13 years of life but I didn't want to do any of it and I started talking about that breakup and I truly got better because I got to tell my story I got to make everybody feel how I wanted them to feel about it I get my chest without bumming out my friends. Um, I hold things inside like a lot of us do because I don't want to bum out my friends because it's like, it's a pandemic. Everybody's upset. Like you can't call and cry to people because they're going through everything too. And so I got to get it all off my chest without bumming out my friends and I got to make it funny. And then I worked, it, it ended up becoming a bit for a while. And every time I would do it, I would think this is better than that relationship. Like that relationship was quite, it was quite off from the beginning. I don't actually know why I got so invested, but I was like, but I got this, I got this 15 minutes where I connect with everybody in the room and that's so much better. And because of standup, I can't really say there's a bad, bad thing that's happened to me because now it's a thing I do and I get I get gratification from it. And so I, now I really genuinely can't be like, Oh, I regret that. Or I wish that never happened. Like, I don't think there's anything left for me to be upset about, which is pretty fucking powerful. It makes right. me feel pretty fucking bulletproof to be honest.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I want to know because of the style of standup that you do, you do Narrative, personal yes. storytelling, long form stuff. How much resistance have you felt from the stand-up comedy industry because of that approach?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, for sure. Well, you know, in the early aughts, in that like two thousand six, two thousand seven era. Obviously, I'm in Louisville, which is where I, well, that's where I started, and I'm you know, was very, uh, is a very traditional middle America club in, in its clientele and in its its draw of certain types of comics. But even within, you know, the early aughts was when we were sort of, we were almost having a reaction to 90s feminism because there was a big feminist run in the 90s. And then in the, the early 2000s, it was like Limp biscuit. <laughs> and you know like every it was just you know it was a real swing out you know and so it was like we were almost having to it. so it was like almost getting cool again to be like fucking you know broads the the way they are like I'm you know it's almost getting cool again to be that way I got a um as a baby comic I got the worst advice uh from all the men at the club it was 20 comics uh, a show three minutes each and uh I was the only girl at my, during my run, so much so that I remember when another girl showed up for the open mic, I had been on stage five or six times and a male comic leaned down in my ear and whispered, do you feel the heat? (laughs) And I was like, well, like he wasn't, he was trying to make a joke, but he was not kidding. Like it was re it was very real that if she was funnier than me, well, then that should to get my spot my one out of 20 yeah Uh, there was like one spot for a girl there was like two spots that I think for that might have been for black guys (laughs) we had one gay guy and then somehow we managed to preserve 16 spots (laughs) for straight white men that you couldn't tell apart and they didn't seem to be threatened by each other they were just like bro out and uh (laughs) it was everything was like that and if, and they were um. so of course uh, and I think um, actually there was a guy in Indianapolis who did a research project on this a few years ago and interviewed a bunch of comedians and he might have even interviewed you he broke it down by demographic of like women and men and people of color that mm-hmm. do stand-up comedy and basically his results were that like men don't use stand-up comedy for any type of like emotional release or connection they just like keep it very surface yeah. and women typically do it to like express themselves and uh so I was getting a lot of the like you know I need sharper jokes and I needed to be like edgier and I, I was taking too long and my premises and and it's been 15 years and I still probably read two or three Facebook posts a week of people being like, uh, I've uh, timed out all my material. And I have a hit every 10 seconds. If you can't get three laughs and your first minute, what are you even, you're not even funny. And that stuff is really hard for me because like, then I guess I'm not funny because like, I like to build,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I like to build and I like to relate. And uh, I swear to God, I'll make you laugh. But um, I, I want you to trust me. And also, I can tell you this, I've definitely, there are people in this world who only have five funny minutes to their name. But those five funny minutes are on tape. And they can get way more opportunities from that tape than I can who probably does not I probably do not have a funny five minutes like it's funny but it's not like killing you but I can do an hour with one hand tied behind my back and have you forgetting yourself like forgetting where you are forgetting anything that was on your mind and take you on a whole journey and make you laugh and I, I would, I pick that, I pick that skill. Um, but I also know that like for commercial breaks and short tapes and things like that, I, I'm not your girl and I still feel really insecure about that really insecure about that.
0: It's hard not to because the industry at large is constantly telling you that you're doing it wrong and it takes a lot of, uh, self-encouragement to be like, no, I'm doing it okay. I'm just not right for every opportunity.
1: Yes. Yes. That is so hard to swallow. And I don't ever know when I'm fighting the good fight, like I'm, I'm being myself, you know, and I'm digging my heels in and being like, this is what I do best. Or if like stuff like social media, if I'm just being like an old dinosaur who doesn't change with the times because I'm very aware that I'm fairly anonymous on the internet and that is like the opposite of how you get booked right? uh, and opposite of how you get found and I'm very aware that that is a bad idea for somebody who would like to do stand-up and yet uh, anything that I would think to put out content-wise feels very bizarre and contrived to me like I love, I love watching other people's TikToks, but like, what the fuck would I do? Like, I could like set up a story and then like, it'd be like, well, that's about all the TikTok for you, bitch. You're done. That's enough. You're, we all went to sleep.
0: (laughs) I, it's funny because I'll make a TikTok video and I use the app to where it would have all the like proper things, but I'm making fun of it. And then my yeah. friend Mariah is like, hey, I tried to go on TikTok and find your account and couldn't. I was like, oh, it's because I deleted it right after making that video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make TikToks. 13 seconds. I have a 13 no. second idea once every two years.
1: <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's and it, you know, and, and I, I there's so many people that are like, maybe it, it's ridiculous. And and they're right. Like a a a very adorable girl who's really blown up up in Michigan was like she's like honey I'm only three years in and I've and like but because of Instagram I get booked all the time I always have these videos I have my pictures my look she's like you know you have a look you could you could you know she's like I don't mean to degrade you but like you could sort of like she goes you have a style you have a look you should put that out there let people see you and I'm like I have, I have no problem with that, but I content wise, I really don't know what to say or do. I, I just want to, I just want to be in the room with you and tell you a story. I don't know what else to do. I just want to, I just want to tell you a fucking story. Just have a drink. Let me tell you a fucking story. You're going to love it. That's like all I know to do. I have no talent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's, what's frustrating about this though, is that these people get booked and they get booked all the time and I'm not disparaging individuals. I'm just going to batch it all together. The problem is usually when you see them, when they got booked, you wish they wouldn't have gotten booked. Yes. And that's a difference. Like the balance is the, the, the nice thing. Like I struggle with self-promotion. I prefer to hide behind a company or a character or something. I don't, like doing all the shit myself and like putting my name yeah. and face on things but i yeah. know it benefits but then my act is still my act and so am i yeah. going to mislead you and then i'm going to come tell a 15 minute story when i get there instead of yes. something punchy and fast
1: <laughs> yes yes you know i were i used to i i've, I've i haven't have even seen brent terhune in a while we're going to see each other this weekend on a show together and i've been meaning to ask him like how he navigates that because you know, he blew up on YouTube Mm -hmm. with this like satire character. And then I'm like, when people come and you're Brent, how do you navigate that? I think that would be an incredible thing to be able to pick his brain about when if you're not the thing they thought because he deserves them. He's actually been doing it a hundred years and is fucking amazing at it. But like, but that's, that's a, you know, that's not the way it generally is. Sometimes it's someone who knows how to do this internet thing. Then people come to see them. I can't, you know, I remember those early days of hosting at the club for somebody who had a TV credit and then that, and they were supposed to do 45 minutes and they had 15 minutes of jokes and 30 minutes of the most exhausting crowd work, just conversational crowd work I'd ever seen. And I remember feeling like, do those people feel like they got a good show or do they feel like a a little bit scammed and are they just happy to see that person are they just like we got we just want to see them so we just want to see this b movie star like or so we did so we feel good whereas for me you don't know who i am you don't buy a ticket because my name is on it. it doesn't sell anything but if you happen across me you feel like wow what a lucky night we had that you know, if, boy, if that feeling could pay me, I'd be the richest person in the world. Because I can't, I can't tell you how many times I know that those people weren't there for me, but I know that I gave them their ten bucks worth, or their fifteen bucks worth, or whatever. I mean, shit. Last weekend I had to be a xenomorph, and I'm like, <laughs> literally, this alien. I'm in a, I'm in a chemical-smelling Amazon bodysuit, all up in my crotch. <laughs> questionable question it's like stained my fingernails it's this shitty cheap dog i've got pool noodles strapped in my back i've got a like a tinted visor and pipe cleaners and shit on my head and i'm like yelling jokes at the audience about like putting babies in people or whatever xenomorphs do and i'm and like i'm having a blast and then the third audience we had was like a little bit tighter and quieter
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i was like absolutely not absolutely not and i was like i know you paid 15 dollars to be here but you've gotten 15 dollars worth of a show what am i getting out of this for being 43 with pipe cleaners on my head you got to give me something Like you've got to open your mouth and audibly let me hear your support for this situation. Why would I continue to wear this bodysuit if I get nothing in return? And like, we had a really fun time in it. You know, they opened up a little bit, but I was like, you know, I'm not like, I will give you every penny of your show. Um, But I really don't know anything about business or networking or how to expand my reach. All I know how to do is focus on you like you're the only person in the world and give you the best show I can give you. And how that translates to the internet, (laughs) I got nothing.
0: Yeah, I don't really know. I think the hope is that a team of people end up doing all of that stuff for you and you don't have I know,
1: right? Right? (laughs) Where do people get these teams? God damn it. I want a manager. I want an agent. Who, where's my PR team because right. I will need a PR team. I, I am a, I am a Gen Xer. I've got some history. There's yeah. probably somebody probably needs to go through my life and do some scrubbing. I, <laughs> I was raised in the eighties. I've made some mistakes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you, did you ever look at stand-up? Did you want that to be, the career and all the stuff that would go along with like the like TV and attention and all that sort of stuff. Was that in the idea of what you, what your goal was?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I was little, I wanted all the stuff from, from five years old when I memorized that Bill Cosby himself, you know, backwards and forwards. Yeah. That's a great record. wanted it, it like just, it's the most beautiful piece of American storytelling I'd ever heard and uh and I like it, honestly so much so that when his allegations came out like I literally you know comedians just joke about anything and nothing hurts us <laughs> like yeah. I could I like could not speak on it for like three months because I was just like yeah. I and that was one person I let myself go too far in idolizing me too but I um did you Ugh. yeah yep god but like um I, I wanted all the glitz and glamour because, you know, I played with Barbies and, you know, I watched Sex and the City. So I was like, obviously, I want all the glamour. But then when I actually started stand up, I uh, realized very quickly, uh, well, really, when I saw like Chappelle have his like $50 million breakdown where he like, like gave him $50 million, he rejected it and ran off to Africa for a while and yeah. like. I started looking at that kind of thing and the kind of lives people had and know that I'm not equipped for that. I mean, fuck, I have a fake name on the internet for God's sake. Right,
2: right.
1: And uh, so I realized I wanted the per to be the perfect level of stand up and fame is Kathleen Madigan. Um, oh, yeah. Kathleen Madigan, every town she goes to, she very quietly sells out a theater with mm-hmm. Almost no promotion, no fanfare. But after the show, she goes like across the street from the theater to a pub. She sits at a table with friends. She gets drunk. People might come in and recognize her. She'll say hi. It's never more than like 10 people. She'll take a photo if she has to. They leave. Then she goes back to her hotel room, gets on her bus, gets on a plane, goes, quietly sells out the next theater. Every once in a while, they might bring her in and be like, will you judge this thing to give it some validity or
2: yeah. do the
1: show? But but that woman can go to the grocery store and live her life. She's not being hounded. Paparazzi are not taking photos of Kathleen Megan. Have you right. ever seen an unauthorized <laughs> photo? A sneak behind the scenes look at Ka- like, Kathleen Megan with no makeup on. She's like, I don't fucking, what does that matter? I just think that's perfect because like you could do theaters. Everybody buys a ticket because your name is on it. And then you can go to the grocery store. And I don't want to go to the grocery store. I hate it. But I do want to be able to go to the grocery store and walk outside with no makeup on and have a bad day and nobody makes fun of me for it. And like, I just think that's the perfect level of fame because it's, you know, she works an hour a night if you don't factor in the godforsaken travel,
2: mm-hmm. you, you
1: know, she walks out, she says, hello. She says, whatever comes to her mind, she's very story formatted. And you know, uh, that is my dream, but she's hilarious. And then like at 59 minutes and 50 seconds, she walks off the stage almost no matter where she is in the sentence, which is very funny to me. She walks <laughs> off the stage and people are people feel like they've spent an evening with her intimately and she goes on about her life. She did her job. She has like her, her one person that travels with her and like, that's it. And it's, it's gotta be, she picks her opener. And uh, I got a little taste of that because Ron was opening for her for a long time. And he would, he and she would let me come be with them uh, sometimes just hang around and i to see what it was like and i was like you know it probably won't be as great as i think it is and so i i went just a few cities popped in and spent the time backstage with them and i was like yep this is yep yep yeah. yep to this yep put my sequin jacket on <laughs> and do my thing and then go get a freaking drink and yeah. relax like my god that's that's the dream oh my god i don't ever see her on the internet she's there but she's not like popping up in my feed being pushed in my throat like that's the shit right there
0: yeah now i started doing this podcast like on the tail end of like i was gonna say the tail end of the pandemic we know that's not true it was like the tail end of the first lockdown era of it and so Every conversation has kind of involved, oh, what have you been doing during the pandemic or what are you doing now that it comes out? It appears to me on the internet, looking at your stuff that like, you're having a pretty good upswing of booking since things have opened back up. Yes,
1: yes. I I had a huge, uh, I had a huge surge. It was, I, I was, I, I liked, I, I needed a break because I had been, felt like I was working two, two jobs. I felt like I was working two full-time jobs for about the three years prior to the pandemic. Uh Since about 2016, I felt like I was working all the time, not paid work all the time, but I felt like I was on every creative show, every bar show, every, I call them homework shows where you got to do a special thing, you know, Uh, every character based show, every theme show between I would say between like Huntsville, Alabama to Chicago, I was anything with a theme. I felt like I was in there (laughs) Uh, having a blessed, but exhausted. And, you know, it's a very expensive lifestyle when you're not getting paid learning a lot. When the pandemic took it away, I got really scared and depressed. Like I think we all did, but I did need a minute. And what came out of it was that I was like, you, you can work you, if it comes back, if comedy comes back, you can work, but you have to prioritize. You can only take shows. If you know that you'll be paid well enough to cover your costs. Mm-hmm. Or if you genuinely think you will learn something invaluable from this gig, Yeah, yeah because I, I still do character work for nothing, but the, it usually gives me something back. Like, But like for evening with the authors, writing all my Mindy McKinleys has like Mm -hmm. changed. I would I love doing evening with the authors, and I love doing all the strange characters. But when I found that Mindy McKinley was just a form of stand-up for my personal stuff that I wasn't putting in my stand-up, I was like, Mm -hmm. "Uh oh, this is now." I, I feel like a learning robot. Like every time I take on a character, I figure something out, and so. Writing for Mindy McKinley has taught me a ton about like how I how I can talk and how I can be on stage,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like I started taking gigs and just very slowly when you know as people started trying to put on shows uh, in the fall of the pandemic when we were so naive, uh, um, I started taking things. But I what what happened was I wrote I wrote accidentally not on purpose wrote new material because I was sick of the old and I and it's amazing how much you think it's all out of your control but then all that I did was write 30 new minutes that I was madly in love with and all of a sudden everybody wanted to hear that 30 new minutes and the, the offers kept coming in and every, cause everywhere I was going for a minute now it's over now, but there was a minute there where I couldn't bomb. Yeah. Uh, there was like a several month long period <laughs> where I couldn't bomb. And I was like, I don't know what happened. I'll take it. And uh, so everywhere I would go, people would get excited and want me back. And the more people that would book me, the more people that would like, Oh, we should book her. And I was and I was so in love with my new material that I'd show up and crush. Um, then I started bombing again like normal. So everything is balanced back <laughs> out. Nobody has to take anything from me. This doesn't have to be righted in any way. It's, I am humiliated again. Everything's fine. But uh, I, I was in love with it and I couldn't wait to do it. And it was coming across. And since the pandemic Aside from the money, because that will never be until Stand Up pays my mortgage, this, the money will never be right. Right. But um, I'm actually really, I'm, I'm I'm doing it in a way that I want to do it. I take the shows that I'm excited about, big and small. I'm getting paid a little better. I'm getting what I really wanted, which is more time on the shows. Right. Uh, people are letting me close. Now obviously clubs still don't give a fuck about me because I have no draw whatsoever, right sure. But all these beautiful indie shows and bar shows and just independent venues
2: mm-hmm.
1: where they're just like I just want to fill a room and entertain people. I, I'm getting you know 20, 30, 40 minute sets, which is all I wanted, just time yeah to, 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 perf- to really perform and fall in love with my work. And like, since the pandemic, everything has been probably the best it's ever been, given that I'm still tied to a location, because that location is tied to my day job. Yeah. Uh, be- because I'm sort of strapped down in middle America, I've never had an opportunity to explore any stand up on the coasts. Mm-hmm. And that just seems weird. That seems weird to me. Um, after all these years, but middle America is really good to me, particularly considering that I didn't think I fit at all, but I was really selling middle America short because there's plenty of people who want what I'm selling. It's, it's not all my, my parents and my grandma, like it's, (laughs) you
2: know,
1: it's lots of people who, you know, are happy to have us and it's, yeah. I it's uh this is the best it's ever been and that and that includes my stand-up and my day job so really got that nervous energy going all the time like you know don't get too comfortable you dummy
0: (laughs) uh before we wrap this up I always give the opportunity if you want to plug anything that you've got going on or where people should go to see what you have going on
1: Yes, I'm trying to get better about posting my dates and the only relevant social media that I have is um, just Facebook. If you can spell my name correctly, then you can find me on Facebook um, because I'm trying to always keep updated dates on the Manny McKelvey Facebook page now because I've been told it's pretty rude to not do that. Um, (laughs) I have been told that quite a few times. So I am actually always trying to keep dates up. And then of course, it's not like I'm a famous person. So I always, you know, try to like respond to people and drop event links and ticket links and comp people in because I would rather have you there for free than not have you there at all.
2: Yeah, so sure.
1: I just, you know, if you're interested in me, then I'll I will bend over backwards to try to get you <laughs> <laughs> in to see me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mandy.
1: Thank you, Isaac. This is fun.
0: All right. I'll talk to you soon.